Okay, let's try this again. I'm going to attempt to show a video here. And the video is from John Lennox, Dr. John Lennox, the professor of pure mathematics from Oxford University. He specializes in the highest form of math. And so what this is going to do, hopefully, is this is going to show you what I've been trying to show you, because I don't think some of you have been getting it. I hope that this shows you that the presuppositional form of apologetics is not a sneaky way of doing apologetics. It is not a, um, a crass way, an uneducated way. It is, is it, it is exactly the way that all thought works. You have to address your presuppositions. The highest level of atheist philosophers and thinkers understand this. And so Dr. John Lennox is going to do a talk after his talk, and I'll, po I'll put up the link here underneath this, uh, this live video feed so that you can see it. But you will be able to clearly identify what I have been teaching you, and hopefully he'll do a better job of it, and then we will uh, get into that discussion. So let's join him in his talk after the talk here he gave on God and science, and it is, about, it is thinking about thinking. to just say something about what I believe is one of the most important parts of the contemporary debate. And that is thinking about thinking. Mathematics, which is my field, is a fascinating thing. Mathematics is a language, it's a highly compressed language, and it has been used to express some of the most fundamental ideas in theoretical physics particularly, upon which even if we don't begin to understand them, so much of contemporary life depends. And to think that equations like these have great value in helping our understanding raises questions in thinking minds. Of course, the mind that thought the most was probably that of Albert Einstein. And he was clever enough to see that there was an issue. The only incomprehensible thing about the universe, he wrote, is that it is comprehensible. How is it, wrote Eugen Wigner, Nobel Prize winner for physics, in a famous paper much loved by mathematicians called The Unreasonable Effectiveness of Mathematics. It's unreasonable, isn't it? He suggested that here's a mathematician and she's thinking in here and she comes up with an equation and it appears to describe something of what we would normally think of as external reality. How does that work? How is that possible? And Wigner uh, wrote, in fact, the enormous usefulness of mathematics as something bordering on the mysterious. There's no rational explanation for it. This is his view, of course. The miracle of the appropriateness of the language of mathematics for the formulation of the laws of physics is a wonderful gift which we neither understand nor 
deserve. And at Cambridge, I was taught quantum physics by Professor Sir John Polkinghorne. And he points out in several of his books that physics doesn't... Hold on, let's, let's just hear that. I was taught... I was taught physics by one of the founders of the physical department. That 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 phys uh, what was the name of the kind of physics he was studying? Just slipped my mind. Quantum physics. Thank you. He said, "Now this is what he said." Okay, is he going to quote to you a Christian? Is he quoting to you what just a nincompoop says? No, he is saying one of the founders of quantum physics says this. This is what we're talking about. Now, I don't want to keep interrupting, but I want you to understand that this is not silliness. Okay, everyone look up at me, please, as, as the video camera's pointing that way, but maybe you guys just hear my voice on the video feed. Please understand this. This is not silliness. For you to treat it as silliness shows you're silly. And I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying for someone to go, I don't understand that. That must be so stupid. They're stupid. Do you understand that? These are the highest level of, of mathematicians, quantum physicists. Albert Einstein said the most unreasonable thing about the universe is that a comprehensible, the most uncomprehensible thing about the universe is that it's comprehensible. Do you know of any smarter people? The argument from presuppositional apologetics is not based on nonsense or trickery. It's based upon the obvious evidence that the world is knowable and nobody knows why. Do you understand that? Thank you. Let's listen to what his quantum physics professor taught him. What did his quantum physics professor teach him? Don't explain why mathematics works. Physics is powerless, he says, to explain its fundamental belief in the mathematical intelligence, the only incomprehensible thing about the universe, he wrote, is that it is comprehensible. How is it, wrote Eugen Wigner, Nobel Prize winner for physics, in a famous paper much loved by mathematicians called The Unreasonable Effectiveness of Mathematics. It's unreasonable, isn't it? He suggested that Here's a mathematician, and she's thinking in here, and she comes up with an equation, and it appears to describe something of what we would normally think of as external reality. How does that work? How is that possible? And uh, Wigner wrote, in fact, the enormous usefulness of mathematics as something bordering on the mysterious. There's no rational explanation for it. This is his view, of course. The miracle of the appropriateness of the language of mathematics for the formulation of the laws of physics is a wonderful gift which we neither understand nor deserve. And at Cambridge, I was taught quantum physics by Professor Sir John Polkinghorne. And he points out in several of his books that physics doesn't explain why mathematics works. Physics is powerless, he says, to explain its fundamental belief in the mathematical intelligibility of the universe for the very simple reason that in order to do physics, 
you have to believe in that mathematical intelligibility before you start. So here we have a fascinating situation. In order to do science, I must believe science can be done, otherwise I wouldn't do it. That is an article of faith. It's a commitment. And we've seen that the great pioneers of physics all believed this about mathematics, believed it about the universe, that it was rationally intelligible, and they believed it because they believed there was a rational God behind it. Now let's come to the contemporary world, which is getting rid of the rational God. And so there's no God behind it. And yet we're still doing science, and we believe it can be done. And that's why I like to have fun with some of my scientific colleagues. And I ask them what they do science with. And of course they're usually thinking of very expensive machines. And I said, no, no, that's very interesting that you own a, a cyclotron or something, or have one in your back garden, that's marvelous. But I mean, oh, you mean. And they're about to say mind when they remember that it's not really politically correct to say that you believe in the mind, so they say the brain. <laughs> I do science with my brain. Now, I'm not going to get into the mind-brain problem. I've written about it, and I do believe the brain story and the mind story are separate, but okay, let's go along with that. You do science with your brain. So tell me about this brain. What's the story of the brain? Well, the usual story is that the brain, the short story, is that it's the end product of a mindless, unguided process. So when I hear that, as I usually do, I look at the person who's told me that and I say, and you trust it. <laughs> That's a very disconcerting question, ladies and gentlemen. Their philosophy leads them to analyze the brain reductionistically and reduce it to physics and chemistry, but physics and chemistry that is sometimes somehow given rise to it without any meaning or significance. And then I tell them, do you know where I got that question from? They usually don't, and they're very surprised when I tell them the answer. It's Charles Darwin. It's Darwin's doubt. And it's a very interesting thing that he wrote with me the horrid doubt always arises. Whether the convictions of man's mind, which has been developed from the mind of the lower animals, are of any value or at all trustworthy. That's Darwin's doubt. And he went on to say something like, after all, who would trust the convictions in a monkey's mind if there aren't any convictions in such a mind? You see what's happening here? He's thinking about thinking. And C.S. Lewis made the powerful point in the 1940s, but nobody really took it on board because they couldn't see so clearly what he was driving at, that we've done wonderful science by thinking about the universe. But what we've not done is think about thinking. Because when you start to think about thinking, then, of course, you have to have some grounds to believe 
in the validity of thinking in order to come to any conclusions at all in any field at all. Now, some atheists have begun to pick this up. John Gray is a very well-known atheist. Modern humanism, he writes, is the faith that through science humankind can know the truth and so be free. Now, listen to this. This is an atheist writing. But if Darwin's theory of natural selection is true, this is impossible. The human mind serves evolutionary success, not truth. And one of America's leading philosophers, Alvin Plantinga, has picked this up. If Dawkins is right, that we are the product of mindless, unguided natural processes, then he has given a strong reason to doubt the reliability of human cognitive faculties and therefore inevitably to doubt the validity of any belief that they produce, including Dawkins' own atheism. Now this fascinates me, because what it's beginning to do is to show that atheism is undermining the fundamental construct of what is necessary to believe in order to do any thinking, not simply scientific thinking. Now, the man that's caused the most trouble in this area recently is another very strong atheist called Thomas Nagel from New York. He's written a book with an extremely provocative subtitle. The book is called Mind and Cosmos. The subtitle is Why the Neo-Darwinian View of the World is Almost Certainly False. Now, the strength of Nagel's atheism is that he doesn't want there to be a God, he says so. But now, he says, all explanations come to an end somewhere. The real opposition between Dawkins' physicalist naturalism and the God hypothesis is a disagreement over whether this end point is physical, extensional, and purposeless, or mental, intentional, and purposive. On either view, the ultimate explanation is not itself explained. The God hypothesis does not explain the existence of God, and naturalistic physicalism does not explain the laws of physics. And elsewhere, he writes that if we take evolutionary naturalism seriously, it threatens to undermine naturalism completely, because it invalidates thinking itself. Now, that's enormously interesting. His statement, again, this statement, I find fascinating. If the mental is not itself merely physical. Now, remember, if you are a materialist, you've got to reduce everything to the physical, including thought. And here is an atheist who wants to find a naturalistic explanation and can't find one, and writes honestly, if the mental is not itself merely physical, it cannot be fully explained by physical science. Evolutionary naturalism implies that we shouldn't take any of our convictions seriously. Inclu now, do, now, do you guys understand what just happened there? I don't have time to go through the whole thing, but yet, uh, no matter of fact, just stay where you're at. I think I'm good. Let me just get a double check that I'm coming through here. Yeah, I'm coming through great. Thank you. So this is what I want you guys to do is think through this. This is not childish. This is not make-believe. 
This is not something Joe just came up with because he watched a funny Facebook video, though they are funny when the Christians deal with the atheists. This is it. This is it, my friends. It is either God or it is madness. Do you understand? I'm going to be passionate today. It is God or it is madness. That's it. And I want you guys to get this because some of you don't get it yet. And I'm not angry at you. I'm just passionate about this because you're letting atheists and non-believers take logic from you and twist it around. Like one of you messaged me and said, well, I saw on a board where the atheist said, well, I'm judging your God based on his own morality and I think his morality is inconsistent. You have no right. Who cares what my God does? If you don't have a foundation, you are in madness. You don't get the right to even borrow another person's worldview to use it against them. Who gave you speech? Do you remember Moses in the face of God? Who gives man tongue? Who makes man mute? Who gives man the abilities? Are you listening? I want you guys to understand these arguments. Understand them. There is no argument the atheist can make in the face of this. I've heard it all, my friends. There may be a new one that comes here my way every now and then, but there is no way around this. It isn't just my opinion. is isn't just something I came up with. The highest levels, the highest levels right now, if we were to sit in Oxford, Cambridge, Princeton, Yale, Alex Rosenberg that I wrote to you, philosopher of Duke University, this is it. This is the discussion. They may not call it madness. They'll call it illusion. That is their only escape. You are an illusion of reality. You do not have a free will. You do not have a mind. And it is an illusion to think you have a mind. It is an illusion to think you have a free will. And then what do they want to do in the philosophy of mind? Tell you you don't have a mind. What do they want to do when they say they don't, you don't have a free will? They want to change your will to believe what they're saying. It is madness. It is contradictory. It can make no sense of this. Charles Darwin understood this. I read somebody's post on the last week video. Well, what about Darwinian evolution? Darwin understood this. Why should I trust my brain if it came from a lower species of a monkey? Why should I even trust this? So, guys, I want you to understand this. And it's almost like, what aren't you not getting? I want you to learn, and I want you to have questions, but what are you not getting about this, okay? This is not a game. When you divorce God from knowledge, you can't know anything. You can't know anything. Write down those atheists. Write down Nagel. Write down the physics names. Get their quotes. Say them to your friends. Your friends may contradict themselves and not even know it. Explain it to them. You are contradicting yourself. Then they may say, well, I don't see the world that way. It doesn't matter how you see the world. This is the way it is. It doesn't matter how you see gravity. And I'll put the whole video up there for you to listen to John Lennox. He rocks it over and over and over and over again. And all he is is a pure mathematician. And it is obvious that mathematics explains the universe. So there is no way around this. Mathematics makes no sense without God. 
just because you can do it without the belief in a God doesn't mean you've explained why you can do it. Do you understand the difference? Stop letting people get you to chase their, their, their tail, your tail or whatever. Here, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. Watch this. Two plus two equals four. See, I know that, and I don't even believe in God. But explain to me why two plus two equals four. Well, it just does. Well, the smartest mathematicians, Albert Einstein, the particle physicist, you know, Mitchell Makaku, whatever that guy's name is, the Asian guy that, that came up with string theory. I have his video I'll put up here for you. All say it's impossible to understand mathematics without an intelligent designer. God is a mathematician. Do not, do not take this lightly. Do not think that I am making this up on the fly. Like, well, Joe just introduced this to me. Well, it's kind of interesting. Maybe, maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't work. No, 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 no. Do not underestimate what you are being told right now. This is the fundamental grounding of reality. Of reality. Make sense of reality with God. Go for it. Your turn. Start. Make sense of anything without God. Go. Your turn. Start. Do not get them to think that they can think without giving an explanation for why they think. You think what? Now tell me why you think what. There is no way around it. I've listened to the debates. I've read the books. I have them. There is no way around it. The best that they have is that in illusion, it's an illusion, and in the illusion, we find things that work, and so that's the best thing that we have. So since it's the best thing that we have and it works, we go forward in the illusion of free will. We go forward in the illusion of morality. We go, through, we go forward in the illusion that other persons exist. Because you don't exist in an atheist worldview. You are a mechanical object of materialism. You don't exist. Your body exists. Your brain exists. But there is no you inside of you. Do not, do not, I repeat, get into Bible studies with atheists. Do not explain anything to them until they admit they have nothing but madness and illusion. After that, after you've humbled the fool in their folly, then preach the gospel to them. Then show them the way of Christ. Then show them the evidence that we have. But you rock their presuppositions until it is broken into pieces. You crush it into pieces until they are forced to say to you, I don't know, 20 times. Until they are forced to say to you, I can't know, I don't know, no one knows. Blah, 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 blah. Until they admit, I don't know. It's madness. It's illusion. So please hear my heart today as a pastor in love. The reason why suicide rate, I just read this today because the lead singer of Soundgarden took his life. And that, uh, you know, was a big deal to my generation. And I was reading an article on why suicide levels are so high. One of the reasons why is because of a post-modern worldview. That you are meaningless. That you don't have a value. 
that you are this. And that is why we now live in a world of way more uh, convenience and, and, and health and even mental health and, and love, you know, where you can be in Facebook and social community and all of these things. And yet our suicide rate seems to be so high. It's because you tell men they're meaningless. You tell them they have no mind. And then they think the only relief they have is to shut down their mechanism, to shut down their program. But my friends, they wake up in hell really fast. And I'm not saying everyone who commits suicide goes there. I'm just saying suicide is self-murder, especially of the sound mind, if you know what you're doing. Now, somebody would say a sound mind can never kill themselves. I would beg to differ. Where I think suicide may fall into the grace and mercy of God is these medications that twist the mind hallucinations and all of these things. And that's the issue they found with Soundgarden. He may have been taking too much of his medication. So I do not want to say all suicide equals, you know, hell. Because you may lay down your life for another. That could be technical suicide, but that's for another. But I just want to say, you say, I don't like life. This sucks. I'm taking it. That is self-murder. And you will wind up in hell realizing you cannot destroy the, you may be able to kill the body, but you cannot destroy the soul. Only God can do that. Fear God. Fear God. Know that you're not in control. You didn't give yourself consciousness. God did. You don't have the choice of when you take this body from you. God gave it to you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Look at yourself in the mirror one day and ask yourself, where am I? Where am I in this reflection? And if you don't feel a sense of fear come over you, you haven't understood what you're looking at and what you're asking. Look at yourself in the mirror and go, where am I in here? Where am I in this CAT scan? Where am I in the the x-ray? They can't find me, but I know I'm here. That will blow your mind. I am in here. I'm not a ghost in a machine. I am interrelated to the physical body, but they cannot find me in here. But I know I'm in here. If you remember the music video from Metallica 1, he was in a coma, a coma and he was talking to himself. They wanted to shut it down and kill him, but he was screaming out and no words were coming, but I am in here, I am in here. In the study of near-death experiences, our mind-blowing Some of our greatest psychologists and scholars have spent their time studying near-death experiences. They are not an ultimate proof. God is the ultimate proof in his word. But near-death experiences are amazing. People have described literally a shoe that a janitor left on top of the building as they left their body, looked down, not only saw the hospital room, but saw the hospital and described a shoe, a Coke can, and they go up there and find it. All the doctors there, never moved from this bed, wasn't a coma, have no explanation. They just have one now of an atheist neuroscientist who had himself a near-death experience, I believe in 2008. He's written about it, and he's arguing. I saw a debate with him, arguing with the neuroscientist, and he's just like, I would have been just like you unless this would have happened. And he's not even a sensational person, he explains. And I'm not saying all near-death experiences are true, but there are too many that are true for the overwhelming evidence to remain. Just because there's false ones doesn't mean there's real ones. Be, but in your heart, 
Revere Christ. Fear the Lord. Fear, revere Christ as Lord. Always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. I, I send you out this year, at the end of this year, to go in power with the gospel. I don't mind you guys asking me questions. I will help you to understand this. But you better take some time yourself and research this to come to understand this. Don't be deceived by the godlessness of this world. Here's another scripture we've been over. Do not answer a fool according to their folly, or you yourself will be just like him. This is Proverbs 26.4. So there's a fool we don't answer. There's a, a pig we don't throw our, our swine, uh, our, our pearls to. A pig we don't throw that... Um, there's a pig we don't throw our pearls to lest they trample on us, or a dog, as the Bible says, we don't give it to. But then in verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. I just did a devotion on that yesterday. It's up right now on these two passages here. And so there's a fool you rebuke. There's a fool you correct in hopes that they will change, in hopes that those who are listening will change. But the fool in his folly needs to be corrected. You look at Job right here. He catches, this is Job chapter 5, verse 13. He catches the wise and their craftiness, and the schemes of the wily are swept away. Sweep away the claims of the wily. Hold them, hold their feet to the fire of truth. Give you a few more scriptures, and then we'll go into some of your questions. Demolish, demolish every stronghold and argument. How many believe that's true? 2 Corinthians 10.4, we love the people. We have mercy on the people. We reach out to the people. But 2 Corinthians 10.4, uh, we don't wage war, starting in verse 3. We don't wage war as the world wages war. We, don't live, we live in the world, but we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. We don't fight on their terms. Do you get it? We don't fight on their turf. We don't do this. Come on. We don't leave our worldview and meet them in this middle area and say, you come here and I'll come here and then we'll battle it out. We say you can't take one step out of your worldview until you explain to us why you deserve to have a debate. David Wood debated an atheist and said, uh, the, the question was, does God exist? He stood up and he said, here's my proof. God exists because we have this debate. And if we're having the debate, therefore God exists. He said it a little bit differently, but the whole idea is the very fact we're having this debate proves that God exists. And then he spent the next 20 minutes of his opening statement explaining how everything in that debate proved that there was a God. Then David Wood debated Michael Shermer, who has his philosophy and has his degree in, in science. And I gave you a little bit of that here, and he explains the scientific method. He, sa he said uh, the debate was, does science disprove or prove God? He said every single time you do science, you prove God. And he built his whole entire 20-minute opening statement on that. Go back and listen to them. Go back and study to show yourself approved. Listen to how our best go out and rock their best. There's nowhere to go. There's no place for them to hide. For the weapons of our warfare are not worldly. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We do what with arguments? Verse 5, we do what with arguments? We demolish arguments and every pretension, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. 
You destroy it. You break it into pieces. You love the person. My mother loved me at that kitchen table, but she demolished my arguments into pieces with the Word of God. Demolish every pretension. Let's get a good, let's get a good New Testament definition on that word pretension. This word pretension here in the Greek. Let's get it up here. Come on, computer. Help me out. Hypsoma. Height. It comes from the word hype and high place. Kind of sounds like hype. Has hype right in there, doesn't it? Hypsoma, right? Isn't that how you pronounce it? H-Y-P-S-O-M-A. Hypsoma. And it comes from the word height, above. And what is that in another translation? Is every high and lofty thing we tear down. Have you heard that in another translation? of that verse, we tear down, we demolish every argument, and we tear down every high and lofty thing that wants to lift itself above the knowledge of God. We tear it down. We say, you don't go above the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is what is supreme. Look at that. The world above, arrogance, conceit, pride. We tear down every conceit. We tear down every pride. We tear down every supernatural heavenly power that comes from the devil. Arrogance, did God say? That comes, look at Genesis says it all. Did God say? Presupposes there's a God, presupposes he talks. Every man knows there's a God, and every man knows that he talks according to Romans. The difference is they suppress it. Romans says that they suppress the knowledge of God, don't they? Isn't that what it says in the book of Romans? Let's go to Romans 1.18. What does sinners do with the knowledge of God? Will there be any innocent people on the day of judgment? No, all will be found guilty according to their own conscience. Verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God is being revealed right now from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verse 19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. Is it plain to them? Yes. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has has made it plain to them. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Will there be any excuse on Judgment Day? None whatsoever. Not one. Not one excuse. Now that was review and introduction. We'll take a little bit of your questions and the remaining time I'll spend on Islam. Because when you get away from atheism, you now have theism or forms of theism. The most popular one today that is opposed to our worldview is Islam. Now what's unique about Islam is that they have a book and a man, the Quran and Muhammad. And therefore, since we have a book and a man, Jesus in the Bible, all we have to do is go back and forth with them on our God and their man, or our book and their man, rather, which I do believe is a different God. Our God is a triune God. Their God is a wicked moral monster. That's another discussion. But listen, what's unique about Islam is that actually in their book, they affirm our man and our book. So they are crushed by their own deception. 
I believe that's the catch-22 of Islam, and that don't take my word for it. You're going to listen to Dr. David Wood, one of the greatest Islamic uh, apologists. I have his video prepared for us as well. But that is only, we only move to Islam, booking the man, booking the man, if right now you guys can share with me that you clearly understand this, that you can share with me that you get this. And I don't want there to be any embarrassment. I love you. I'm going to slow down my role. I'm not mad at anybody. I just wanted you to know my passion in this. I mean, when I was listening to to Lennox, I was just like, dear God. I mean, the, the amount of knowledge that has been purported among the world of a Christian worldview, there's no excuse why we shouldn't have it in this place. I know you've only had two lectures on it, but you guys should be able to get it, okay? So I'm going to start. One, two. Was this the mic that he was using? It was the mic you were using? Okay, it's, I'm going to believe that it's on. I'm just going to st- start with one of you, and we'll just believe that Julian will be the, representat- the re- representative of the class. Okay, so Julian, um, give me a mic check if you could, please. Okay, we're going to make sure that went through. No, that was not the mic that he would. Oh, I muted it back there. Can you unmute it, please? Thank you. And then that's why we, we'll hear it, and then we'll know it's coming through. Perfect. So here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to simply be the atheist. You be the Christian. You don't have to do it my way. Just get her done. Okay? So now, before I let you guys be the devil's advocate, and that was a little hard because maybe you guys lacked experience in this, but I don't lack experience in this. Okay, by God's grace, I'm going to come at you just as hard as they will ever come at you, and I want you to do what you've been taught in this class. And it will determine whether or not we move to Islam or whether or not we stay there. Would you check that mic again, please, good sir? Mic check. Perfect. Mic check. Okay. So uh, just come up to me and talk about Jesus. Yeah, come on up. There you go. Hello. How you doing today, sir? I'm doing good. What's up? All right. I just uh, want to know if you have a minute to talk about Jesus and uh, share your worldview on what you believe about him. Great. I love talking about fairy tales. Let's talk about it. I was just watching Lord of the Rings the other day. I love to talk about this. Go ahead. Why do you believe that uh, Jesus is a fairy tale? I just don't God? believe he existed. I just believe he's just like anything else. Man made him up. So it's just something you do for a crutch to make yourself feel better. And where's that thought coming from? It comes from my brain. It comes from where, where your thoughts come from. Yeah. And why do you have? The, uh, why do you believe that your thinking the way that you're thinking that you can even fathom that thought without the knowledge that there is a God who gives the wisdom. Well, I don't believe in God, and I'm thinking right now it's working just fine for me. But the flaw of that is that. (laughs) How do you know that? (laughs) Okay, we're switching now to Ashley. We're switching now tag team. Tag team. Let's give it up for Ashley as she comes. According to my reward of my children with candy, I don't know how many M&Ms he would have got on that one. Would he have gotten at least one? No, no. For the first part, you would get one M&M. Because M&Ms are a great way to disperse rewards because you could give plenty or none, you know what I'm saying? So, I, so he would have got one M&M. She would, right now, uh, Ashley would have at least five M&Ms for just doing what she did. Okay, so let's, we'll take it right from that point. So how do I know I'm thinking right? Because I have a brain. I'm thinking just like you. How are you thinking? I'm thinking because I have a brain and it works, and I test it through science, and science tells me that it works. How do you know you're not just a vet right now? How do you even know that you can depend on whatever you're thinking? 
How do I know I can depend on what I'm thinking? Yeah. Because I test it through science, so I know that it's right. How do you know science is right? Well, I try, <laughs> I'm trying to go now through what, what the next thing would say, because normally they're like, I don't know. <laughs> Let me think of the best one. Just to, just to, but she did awesome. Let me just think of the best one. Let's see if we can go one more step in this. Uh, because if I don't use science, I can't live. So if I, if I don't trust that this is right, if I don't know that it's right, I won't have any way to live and do anything. How do you know that you're even living right now? That's a good question. Let's give it up for our, our sister right there. Wonderful job. And then what, 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 are, what are the things that they're going to ask you back? Well, how do you know? And then you're going to say God in the Word, God in the Bible. Then they're going to start arguing with you about God in the Bible. And then what do you do back to them? Every time they say an argument, you go, well, how do you know? How do you know? Right? And so you just reduce them down to, according to your worldview, you can't know anything. Right? So why are you arguing with me about things that I say I know? So that's how we reduce it down. Now say this, if you want to move that conversation forward, do you want to borrow my worldview? Do you want to presuppose that God exists and that he can speak? Well, now let's talk about the other things. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's use our mind to understand the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus because that was the evidence that the Christian church gave the world was that Jesus raised from the dead. And so you can do that, but you really want to slow down their role. And as you rock them, once again, we're not looking for the win. We're not looking for pride for us to gloat. We'll take that humbly and go, hey, neither can I. No one can make sense of the world without God in the foundation. And then share just a little bit about what you know. Say, that's where the scientific revolution came from, was from a God that was knowable. Sir, I, uh, uh, Albert Einstein said, the most incomprehensible thing about the world is that it's comprehensible. The top mathematics, uh, mathematicians in our world understand that that's the great mystery. Even Darwin said, why should I trust my mind if it came from a monkey? So now let's look to what the Bible says. The Bible says, in the beginning, God. And at any time they question the things of God, all you have to do is say, is if, if it can be true, there's a God. Isn't it true that God can speak? Yes, yeah, so then any mystery or anything that we would have about his morality or anything can simply be solved by the more we know about him. It doesn't mean that he's wrong. If there is a God and he can speak, it's always going to mean that we're wrong. And so we can show you evidence through prophecy. We can show you Jesus predicting that the temple of Jerusalem would come down in 30 AD, and then 40 years later it comes down in 70 AD. We can show you that Jesus himself said that false prophets and people would come claiming to be him. Why would anybody do that when they crucified him? That's no way to bring friends and influence people. But you're alive now in what we'd consider the last days, and there's over 100 people right now alive that are claiming to be Jesus. These are signs of the time. And you see, yeah, you can do all that, but once again, you're getting this to drop their madness. You're getting them to drop their folly. Does that make sense? Okay. So um, what I can do now is I can prepare uh, the video for Islam. Would you guys like to see that video? Okay, so re remember, whenever we deal with a world religion, we're not dealing with an atheist anymore. What's really funny is that Muslim apolog apologists actually steal most of our uh, material. There was actually one, um, Hamza Yusuf, I believe was his name, was actually um, written up in different Christian blogs for literally uh, verbatim plagiarizing William Lane Craig. So once again, um, it just shows you that the folly of that. But... Uh, that doesn't mean all Muslims do that, but, what, but our, our similarity with them is that we can use the same arguments for theism. Okay, now what we're going to do is we're going to watch this video about the, the conundrum 
of um, Islam by having a view of our book and our man. So let me get it here real quick. Quran contradiction. And then we'll just close on that. Okay. Joe B., look up the message that I sent you, please. What's the title of that? Because it's not contradiction. What's the title of it? Yeah, it's your message. Dilemma. That's the word, dilemma. Okay. There we go. Okay. Okay, let's watch this. Once again, the book and the man, and watch how quickly it falls apart with Islam. In Surah 29, verse 46, the Quran commands Muslims to say to Christians, We believe in what has been revealed to us and in what has been revealed to you. Our God and your God is one, and to Him we submit. Yet many Muslims say something very different to Christians. They say, we don't believe in your book because it's been corrupted, and your God is a false God. If Muslims are commanded to say that they believe in what has been revealed to us, why do they instead say that they don't believe in the Bible, the only revelation we have? And if they're commanded to say that our God and their God is one, why do they instead say that our God is a false God? According to the Bible, God is a trinity, one in nature or essence, but three in person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son entered creation as Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus died on the cross for sins and rose from the dead. The Quran denies all of this, so a Muslim can't say that he believes in the Bible or that Allah and the God of the Bible are the same God. Muslims have to reject the Bible because the Bible contradicts the Quran. But Muslims have a problem here. The Quran declares that the Torah and the Gospel were revealed by Allah. Surah 3 verses 3 through 4 He has revealed to you the book with truth, verifying that which is before it. And He revealed the Torah and the Gospel aforetime, a guidance for the people. And He sent the Quran. So Allah revealed the Torah and the Gospel as a guidance. But our Muslim friends tell us that Allah couldn't protect the Torah and the Gospel, and that both revelations were corrupted by men. What Allah sent to guide people ended up misguiding people, convincing Christians that God is a trinity and that Jesus died on the cross for sins. Of course, we should be puzzled when Muslims tell us that the Torah and the Gospel were changed, because the Quran states that no one can change Allah's words. Surah 18, verse 27 and recite what has been revealed to you of the book of your Lord. There is none who can change his words, and you shall not find any refuge besides him. Here our Muslim friends might say, this verse only means that no one can change the Quran. But the verse doesn't say that no one can change the Quran. It says that no one can change Allah's words. And the Torah and the Gospel 
according to the Quran, are Allah's words. Despite Allah's clear declaration that no one can change his words, many Muslims assert that the gospel was corrupted by the Apostle Paul or by later Christians. If the gospel is corrupted, we can only wonder why the Quran says that Christians still had the gospel during the time of Muhammad. Surah 7 verse 157 Those who follow the messenger, the unlettered prophet, whom they find mentioned in their own scriptures, in the Torah and the gospel, it is they who will prosper. How could Christians find Muhammad mentioned in the gospel when the gospel was supposedly corrupted centuries earlier? Is Allah saying that we find Muhammad mentioned in our corrupted scriptures? But we don't find Muhammad mentioned in our scriptures at all, except as part of a general warning about false prophets who come to lead people away from the gospel. And if we did find Muhammad mentioned in our scriptures, how would we know that this wasn't one of the corrupted parts? And since our scriptures contradict Islam, why would Allah appeal to them as evidence for Islam? But Allah goes much further than this. He commands Christians to judge by the gospel. Surah 5, verse 47. Let the people of the gospel judge by what Allah hath revealed therein. If any do fail to judge by the light of what Allah hath revealed, they are no better than those who rebel. Why does Allah command us to judge by a corrupt book? The only gospel we have contradicts Islam, so in order to obey Allah's command, we would have to judge by the gospel and conclude that Islam is false. Allah continues along these same lines in Surah 5, verse 68. Say, O people of the book, you have no ground to stand upon unless you stand fast by the Torah, the gospel, and all the revelation that has come to you from your Lord. Why would Allah tell us that we have no ground to stand upon unless we stand upon a corrupt book? If the gospel has been corrupted, wouldn't Allah just tell us to get rid of it and believe in the Quran? So the Quran clearly maintains that the gospel is authoritative for Christians, and this only makes sense if the author of the Quran believed that Christians have the word of God. But the gospel wasn't just authoritative for Christians, it was also authoritative for Muhammad himself and, therefore, for Muslims. One day, Muhammad started having doubts about his revelations. In response to these doubts, Allah commanded Muhammad to go to the people of the book, Jews and Christians, for confirmation. Surah 10, verse 94. But if you, O Muhammad, are in doubt as to what we have revealed to you, ask those who read the book before you. Certainly the truth has come to you from your Lord, therefore you should not be of the disputers. Muslims today act as if the Quran stands in judgment over the Bible. Since the Bible contradicts the Quran, Muslims assume that the Bible must be rejected. But in the Quran, it's exactly the opposite. The Bible stands in judgment over the Quran, and Muhammad himself could only confirm his revelations by checking to see if they line up with the scriptures of the people of the book. Since Muhammad continued preaching Islam, 
he apparently never took this test very seriously. If he had gone to the people of the book in search of confirmation, he would have been forced to reject the Quran, because the Quran puts Muslims in an inescapable dilemma. Either Christians have the inspired, preserved, authoritative Word of God, or we don't. Those are the only two possibilities. If we have the inspired, preserved, authoritative Word of God, Islam is false, because Islam contradicts what we have. If we don't have the inspired, preserved, authoritative Word of God, Islam is false because the Quran affirms the inspiration, preservation, and authority of our book. So if the Gospel is the Word of God, Islam is false. If the Gospel isn't the Word of God, Islam is false. Either way, Islam is false. Good? Did I help you guys out a little bit? So it's clear that there is a dilemma with Islam because if the Bible, I drew this because I forgot he ends with it right there. So here was my drawing, forgetting that he ends with it. But uh, if the Bible is true, Islam is false because the Bible contradicts Islam. If the Bible is false, then Islam is false because Islam confirms or says that it is supposed to be based upon the Bible and the people in it. So when you deal with Islam, deal with the Islamic dilemma, the book and the man. They have a different Jesus and they have a different Bible, but yet their book tells them to affirm Jesus and affirm the Bible. Okay? Joby, would you get ready to shut us down here? I'll take some questions for you guys afterward. There's much to be said on that. When I post up David Wood's video under this video, he has all the answers probably you'll ever ask to questions to. So uh, he's, he's studied it many, many years and very thorough on it with the debates as well. But let's pray. Father God, help us to do apologetics your way based upon your truth, uh, knowing that men suppress the truth so that we don't get deceived by them in their folly, but Lord, love them and gently lead them with patience and kindness to your truth so that they can see who you are, be born again, and share in your eternal kingdom. Bless the preachers of the gospel here, these disciples that make disciples in your holy name, in Jesus' name. Amen.